0: I told you there are plenty of work for everybody, didn't I? Oh, typically masculine arrangement, though. We do all the dirty work, you get all the fun. You don't think mixing the singularly noxious compound is
1: fun, do you? You're listening to Oi, Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. A nerdy podcast hosted by a husband and wife team who just love talking about all things Doctor Who. We're sex-positive, lgbtqip plus friendly, and decidedly not fans of Stephen Moffat. Spoilers, naughty language, and other adult content may lie within.
0: Oh, I could murder a cup of tea. You're serious, aren't you?
1: About what I do, yes. Not necessarily the way I do it. And hello again. Welcome to a long-awaited episode 10 of the Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who Love Story podcast. I am Daniel. Joining me as always is my lovely wife, Shayna. Say hello, Shayna. Hello. <laughs> Shayna just woke up from a nap, so hopefully... Uh, we're going to keep her nice and energetic by talking about Tom Baker today. We're going to be talking Woo! about a, uh, a fine, fine episode, Pyramids of Mars, uh, mm-hmm. which is the one we promised we were going to talk about about two months ago when we recorded our last episode. Um, before we get to that, we're going to talk t- uh, a little bit about kind of why we um, had a little delay in episodes, some personal life stuff. Um, And we're going to actually do a news item, which won't really be a news item by the time this this uploads, but um, the uh, leaked scripts for Series 8, the first five episodes of Series 8, which is upcoming in about six weeks at this point, uh, were leaked and we're going to talk a little bit about that and kind of talk about what we're looking for in Series 8. So uh, it's going to be a jam-packed episode uh, full of a great funny comments about Tom Baker and, and mm-hmm. Stephen Moffat's stuff, too. So, um, let's begin, if you're ready, Shana. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, it's been a couple months since we uh, uploaded an episode. Um, there has been a, a big ch- two big changes in your life since uh, we recorded an episode, uh, one of which is you turned 30. Um, yes. I'm going to be leaving you shortly. For yep. a
0: I am old and used up.
1: Um, and, uh, Mm -hmm. one other thing, would you like to talk about that thing?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so, I, I turned 30, and part of that for me, I mean, I'm one of those people, I don't, I don't make New Year's resolutions, I try to make, like, birthday resolutions, like, this year, I'm gonna live better, or whatever, you know. So, anyway... I decided this 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 birthday since I was turning 30 I wanted to live more intentionally and more openly and I came out as queer uh, um, would,
1: you, would you let you tell people kind of what that means to you
0: Sure uh, Queer for me I I, I don't identify as gender queer if if you are hip to the lingo um, which I hope everyone, uh, does try to be, um, queer for me is is much more uh, about. Um, hold on, sorry, Zoe. Hi. All right, so.
1: All right, so uh, we. Sorry, we just had a little edit there. That's because of, uh, one of our cats decided to crawl up on Shayna and. Uh, couldn't get comfortable, and her purr was interfering with the audio. So um, you were talking about what queer means for you, um, and I'll just kind of start by saying you started writing a blog project kind of about this issue. So why don't you just start off talking about the blog?
0: Yes. So, um, again, part of my <laughs> grand statement was I'm turning 30, and I'm going to write a blog called 30 Days of Turning 30, <sighs> which which has also kind of hit a, a snag in the update cycle, but I hope to actually continue in my own way later. Um, but part of what I wanted to do was talk about um, sexuality and uh, how how we look at it. Um, because for me, identifying as queer is much more about an ideology. Um... Than than even just about the fact that sexually, um, I I like a lot of people, um, <laughs> but that doesn't change the fact that I'm I'm married or um, the way I see the world. Um, but for me, a big part of being uh, of of queer, and you can kind of Google this and look it up. Um, is kind of the idea of the queer movement the the queering of ideology and really all that means is recognizing that everything exists on a spectrum to me at least this is how i interpret this is is saying everything exists on a spectrum um there is no binary for gender for sexuality for any of that everybody is gonna have their own special way of being and and that is right and that is good and uh you should just be able to be you but that's kind of part of my interpretation of identifying as queer um yeah and anything else is not really much of anybody else's business (laughs) exactly
1: exactly so um you know, we're not talking about what happens in the bedroom here, um, but I think it's important to note, um, first of all, I just want to clarify something for people who may not. I mean, this does kind of go up on Tumblr, and Tumblr's pretty um, hip to this stuff, but, um, you know, I, I kind of like to... Uh, it would be easier if you said bisexual, but bisexual doesn't really define uh, what you are,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because bisexual still assumes there are two genders, and, you know, the idea that... Um, you're using queer to kind of refer to yourself and refer to your sexuality um, as kind of neglecting or, you know, abolishing the very idea of the gender binary at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're saying not only hypothetical attraction to men, but women, um, transgender persons, you know, wherever wherever you fall on that spectrum, uh, you define yourself as being... Um, open to that idea, not just in, in your physical reality, but in your ideology. And I think that that's a how, how do you feel about that as kind of an explanation
0: for the uninitiated? I think that that's, that, that is fair. Um, and I, I, I know that you'll, some people will hear this and know that queer can often be used now as an umbrella term um, for the LGBT community. Um, and as part of that some people, me included, who identify as queer um, are kind of saying, Hey, I definitely exist in this group, and I'm not necessarily sure how. Uh, <laughs> or right. I can't quite put a word on it. Um, so it's kind of a word for lack of a word for me. Um, it's a word that describes a kind of state of saying, Hey, I, I, I don't like labels. I kind of think we should all just be able to be who we are It is in some ways. Um, sure. And part of that, I do want to say part of that comes from my background of, and everyone who's listened to this podcast knows, that I got a, a master's in um, creative writing, and so I took classes in literary theory, and so I really first became uh, more comfortable with the idea and, and understanding that I was queer because I read about queer theory and how that can be applied to literature. Um, and then I realized, oh, this is kind of how I've always seen myself in life. Um, and then you realize that that's not true for everyone. And you go, <laughs> right. oh, oh, I'm different somehow. Um, so I, I do encourage everyone, if, if any of this sounds interesting and you'd like to know more to check out, my Tumblr, 30 Days of Turning 30. Um, I'll include 30, a link
1: in the show notes. And
0: we'll put a link in the show notes. Um,
1: and I'll, I, and hopefully you can give me some, some links to help explain some of this stuff to people in a little bit more detail as well.
0: Yeah, and um, I, I also hope to continue to update that blog in probably a different fashion. But uh, I have to accept the fact that I'm a writer and... Sometimes writers are the worst at starting projects and not finishing them. So sure,
1: sure. <laughs> well, um, one of the the big reason I wanted to like include that on this on this show um, is that you know we obviously view um, Doctor Who through the lens of who we are as people, and mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of you know as you were kind of making a decision to come out and as you were making the um, as we started talking more about Doctor Who, it kind of became clear to me how much of My love, but particularly New Who, I mean, you know, the classic series doesn't really do this as much, but um, is how uh, it does subvert some of the gender binary, it does subvert some um, ideas about sexuality, some old-fashioned ideas, Mm -hmm. um, particularly in the RTD Gardner era. Um, And a lot of my disappointment with the Moffat era, which we're not really talking about that right now, um, is that it um, becomes a lot more heteronormative and it becomes a lot more of that stuff that I don't like um, in society. Um, exactly, and in it, you know, the, the more I thought about it, the more you and I talked about it, the more I thought, you know, we should really make this, I mean, this podcast is coming from that perspective. Um, mm-hmm. and that, um, we should, we should kind of make that explicit and make sure that it's known, mm-hmm. um, that, 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 that's the, that's the perspective we come at, uh, with this. So, um, you know, our, I think my goal, and I, not to speak for you, but I think my goal is to be, um, welcoming and opening to, uh, any kind of sexuality, uh, any gender, um, you know, uh, of everyone from straight yeah. white guys to I, you know, I, queer women of color to to you know, whoever, uh, yeah, everybody gets to be um involved, everybody can love Doctor Who. Um,
0: well, and I think part we've we've said before that we try to be sex positive, um, so yeah, we're we're everything positive, <laughs> right? right. Uh, we we tried to be generally positive. Um, and what I like about Doctor Who and what I like about science fiction in, in general, um, especially stories that are set in the, 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 the past or the present or, or the future, rather. And, and this show happens to be set all over. Um, but what I like about science fiction is that a lot of the times... It is focused on discussing, um, giving voice to those without voice and a contemporary generation, but th- through the guise of a story. Right. Um, Gene Roddenberry, you know, is very well respected for having worked race into his show as much as he did. Um, I'm not saying that we can look at early Star Trek now and say it isn't still sexist, etc., but, you know... They did they you know they they made some some it, really it looked, important steps in the right direction. It
1: looked radical for 1966. And I exactly. think you can say the same thing about Doctor Who is that a lot of it looked really radical in the early 60s.
0: Mhm. And and that's that's why I love science fiction and you know ultimately that's what I love about storytelling and art is that it can bring people together and help people understand what they may not understand. Um so yeah. Yeah,
1: um, I think that's. I mean, you know, we've spent a good like ten minutes on that. I think we can kind of move on a bit. Um, but I did want to just kind of lead off the show with that and kind of talk about that. Um, before we get into our, our news item, we're going to be talking a little bit about Series Eight. Um, about the the leaked scripts. Um, starting about right now. Um, I wanted to just uh, mention what we're going to be doing for the next. Um, because of the show the, the, the show comes back in about six weeks. Um and I had not intended to take this long of a break or really any break at all. Um I just kinda ran into I got a new job and all kinds of stuff. So um you know, we just haven't had the chance to record lately. But yes, the um, it's not
0: just because I came out as, as queer. We have also had uh
1: we've had a lot school of stuff. Going
0: and other things going on, weddings and family and friends in town, so sorry. Yeah.
1: Uh, Life got in the way, but uh, the goal is to um, record the next few episodes. We'll be going back through Series 7, up through and including the uh, Christmas special and the uh, Matt Smith's last episode. So kind of the last year of Doctor Who, the 50th anniversary year. Talk about all those episodes briefly, um, so kind of three or four episodes per podcast episode, leading up to the premiere of the new series, and then we'll kind of do an episode a week. Talking about that episode, which every other Doctor Who podcast out there is also going to be doing, so that shouldn't be a surprise. That we're literally just go, that we're going to be doing reviewing all the new episodes as they air, um, as close to the time of airing as we can. Um, but we're also going to, uh, uh, once that's over with, well, we'll kind of go back to our more traditional format of kind of mix of classic series and new series and that sort of thing. So,
0: and um, if at all possible, I I will try to live tweet the episodes. Um... But, again, student, so we might not be able to get to watch the episodes as they air.
1: Yeah, so we'll see. We'll kind of see how that goes. But um, we will do our best to kind of get more involved in the online community again, kind of get back on Tumblr and Twitter. Um We've just been really crazy busy lately, so um, that's really the the problem there. But um, So that kind of tells you, that kind of gives you the status update, that's where we are. Sorry about the extended intro there. Um, let's uh, talk about a, a news item. We haven't done it, we've never done a news item. This is going to be really exciting. Um, wah, wah, wah. Although it's like a week old at the point that this goes up, so you know nobody cares anymore. But, um, so... Uh, the first five completed scripts for Series 8 were leaked onto the internet. Um, And uh, the guy's name, whose scripts they were, were, like, emblazoned across the front of them. And I really... It's funny, for someone who, like, loves Doctor Who and does a Doctor Who podcast, I have not really been following a lot of the news. I've been just kind of... I'm very much in that the new series will get here when it gets here, I will watch it when it gets here. You know, I'm not... um, I I haven't really been, uh, like absorbing every single like new trailer and all the new. I I just I've kind of just let that go. I'm like it'll be here when it gets here. Um but the scripts, you know, they they were just on the internet. Um I downloaded them and uh you know, it was a real like do I read these, do I not read these, do I so I said, you know, I just I'll read the first few pages. And I read the first um Maybe the first ten minutes of the first episode that's going to air in six weeks. You know, Peter Capaldi's first, you know, first full episode. And um, you did not, you didn't read anything, right? No, or you haven't heard anything.
0: I, I would say like, I haven't been consciously avoiding watching things or 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 looking at photos or anything um, for this time around. But I I have been, I haven't been on Tumblr as much. I've been. I have been avoiding fan stuff a little bit. Um, so I had heard that the scripts got released and I had heard some general reaction to them, but, um, I don't, I don't, I, I, I hate reading part of a story and not getting to hear the rest. Sure. Um, and to me, part of, you know, it's a TV show. Part of the story is the script, but part of the story is the performance. And Right. And there will be differences. There will be things going on. and.
1: No, 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 no. Yeah, you certainly, um, we don't know how Capaldi's going to play the part. We don't know. You know um, I didn't read much. Um, I'm just going to say, um, from this point, for the next, like, ten minutes or so, um, you know, I'm not going to... If you are someone who is trying to avoid every spoiler that might come up for Series 8, which... Um, you know, we tend to not worry about spoilers because we're typically talking about stuff that aired like 30 years ago. Um, but if you're someone who is worried about spoilers, um, skip the next 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and so I'll just just kind of leave it at that, because um, I'm going to talk about just a few things from the set photos and, and that sort of thing. So um, just just be aware of that. Um, and and the the few pages that I read, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention. I'm not gonna go even go into detail. I'm just gonna talk very briefly. Um, Jenny Strax and Vastra uh, are uh, play prominent roles in this next in the first episode of the new series. Um, the line "I speak dinosaur," you know, is spoken. Um, well, okay,
0: so stop. So far, I like Vastra and Strax, and them so good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I speak dinosaur is dumb and a joke that Moffat has used at least twice before.
1: Right, the I Speak Baby and then I Speak Horse, I think he, he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and he keeps bringing back that joke. He thinks it's real, it. it's real funny. It's real funny. You use it once, the I Speak Baby thing, you know, and Storm Again, Dark Lord of All, and it's kind of like, okay, you know, I, you can like it or not like it, but at least that's kind of a, a funny idea, mm-hmm. that, oh, the Doctor speaks baby. Mm-hmm. Although I have... We're going to be talking about this in more detail in, in a future episode, but... Um, but the but bringing it back over and over again like a greatest hits mixtape. Um, I'll just say, reading the first ten pages, it's like this is the this is Moffat doubling down on everything that like if you love what Moffitt's done, you're gonna love the first ten minutes of the new episode. If you're uh, if you're on the fence or you're not not, not a big fan about Moffitt, you're probably gonna feel the same way about the new series or at least you know again that first few minutes. So we don't know how, I don't have no idea how it's gonna play on screen. I have I read again just those first few pages just to kind of get an idea. Um, does not bode well in my opinion. I'm I'm a not um, you know I I'm not excited to to see this episode um, based on what I read and that's that's sad for me to feel that way.
0: Yeah no and I get that and that's part of why I haven't wanted to look forward is because I, I I really want to be able to make my opinion in the moment um, and we'll see. We'll see. You know, you may get yourself all down based on what you read, and then we may see it. And who knows? Maybe yeah, yeah, Moffat and... leaked the strip, the scripts on purpose, and everything's gonna be different. And he'll say, bah, "Ha ha Surprise! That was part of it, Sherlock." I yeah,
1: Moffat. Moffat is. Uh, yeah, he would love to. He would love to think he's that clever. That that would, that's the thing that I I have that, that you know that oh, it was all a subtle ruse that we release these five scripts that are, like, intentionally terrible just to, you know, mess with people. Um, but I don't think that's uh, at all what's what's actually happening. Um, again, I only read the first few pages. I'm withholding judgment until I actually see the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just saying, based upon what I read, it reads like, wow, that is very much more of what we've been getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, you know, if the show is successful, people are liking that. If people like it, then that's great. Um... I'm just saying, like, for my own thing, I was really hoping they would kind of push in a very different direction. Um, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah. So, or at least from what I read. Um, so we'll find out, and we'll see how Capaldi plays it. And once Capaldi kind of makes the role his own, I'm sure maybe maybe things will, even like kind of similar scripts, will, will feel differently with a new um, with a new actor. So uh, we can hope.
0: True, true. We never know what, how Capaldi is going to read it. <laughs>
1: So, um, yeah, I think that's it for for our, our news segment. Do you have anything else to say about anything that that um I've liked some of the set photos I've been seeing, you know, just kind of around um there's it looks like there's some really cool costumes and and Kapodulus good in his in his costume, and uh
0: yeah, you, know, you really
1: can't say, know a lot from just looking at it, but it looks good, you yeah, know?
0: I will say, even throughout the last series, as much as I have i find the stuff problematic um The BBC production side, the tech side, the costume people, all that, they're on point. They know what to do when they finally get a budget.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, the the budget for Doctor Who has not been... um, I mean, this is the thing. Like, the RTD Gardner era versus the Moffat era, the the budgets have not changed. Oh, really? Really. Um, I think that they are doing different things. I think that they're spending money differently. In the uh, in the last three or four years than they did um, in the rtD Gardener era. Mm. Um, you see a lot more um, stories set on earth or set in cheaper locations. Um, you don't see as many um, space stations and kind of big um, you know you, you see a lot more episodes that are like set in like somebody's house or something like that.
0: And that's, I think that yeah. that's
1: where the, that that's where the money's going now is like, oh well we can afford. Better effects and, and some other stuff because we're not spending it on set design essentially. So um, you know, it's it's a different kind of stylistic choice. Um, but, sure. Uh,
0: well, um, the but costumes no, the have, been have been on not, point. That's what I said.
1: The costumes are the costumes look great. I, I think that it's interesting and um I think this is a good uh, movement into uh, talking about Tom Baker because um, mm-hmm. we're talking. Uh, let, let's just move into uh, Pyramids of Mars now. Pyramids you
0: of Mars.
1: <laughs> um. Uh, we are uh, we are now doing our, our kind of discussion of Pyramids and Mars. Um, and one of the things that, that kind of struck me um, and really strikes me watching the classic series is, like, how cheap that show was <clears throat> but how great the costumes were and a lot of the sets were because they were working for the BBC and so they could just, like, steal props from other productions. Like, the more expensive productions, the BBC... BBC would do a historical about, you know... Or they just had people on on sets, people people just on in in the BBC's employ who worked on these crazy lavish production pieces like historicals, and suddenly Doctor Who could be like, "Well, that's a really nice rug. We're gonna borrow that." You know, after so many days, um. So all the costumes and sets look phenomenal in most of classic Who. I will at, especially say, especially in the 70s.
0: I love almost all everything about the costumes in this episode, except for one one thing.
1: <laughs> Go ahead.
0: And that is the Sutek donkey head. <laughs> I'm sorry! You have Sarah going like, Oh my god, I saw a face. It's so terrifying. It was a, it looked like a freaking donkey head.
1: Yes, it did. So,
0: <laughs> everything else, I love the, the helmets they wear, I think are really interesting. I love, you know, Sarah's kind of... Victorian and I will say there is something about Tom Baker in this episode. He just has a little bit of extra swagger.
1: Yeah. You haven't seen a Tom Baker episode in a while, and I know you, you have this thing for Tom Baker, so
0: I do. Um, I can't we're... explain it. It's something about the long lanky and the tweed and the scarf.
1: And the smile and the teeth and the uh and the silky voice.
0: Yeah. That
1: silky Tom Baker voice, you know? Yeah. Um, it's okay, I have a thing for Sarah Jane, so, as well, I think we both do. She, she's so, awesome in this episode, too. She is awesome in this serial. So um, let's uh, talk about, let, let's kind of go back and let's talk a little bit about, um, first of all, I tend not to, because I've seen all these episodes that, that we talk about before, and you have not, typically. Um, and so uh, I tend to say, oh, we're going to do this episode. I pick the episode, and I don't tell you whether or not it's a good one or not. I just kind of say, okay, we're going to do this episode or whether I like it or not. Um, Pyramids of Mars is legitimately called one of the great serials in, in Classic Who. Uh, and I am not, I'm not in love with it in, in the way that some other people are. Um, but uh, would you like to talk a little bit about what happens in Pyramids of Mars and whether you liked it or didn't like it?
0: Um, well, part of what I, I do like about Pyramids of Mars um is, is is really the kind of, it, 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 it's a, a bit of a stereotype story. It has the, the British imperial kind of classic explorer figure who goes down to Egypt, and when he breaks into a tomb, all of the native people run out, and he does not pay attention to their native intelligence. He calls them savages. And then he opens this door, and instead of finding a tomb, he finds that this specific Egyptian tomb is actually a link somehow. It's
1: a space-time continuum. You know, like
0: waving um, the magic stick of science. Um yes. and then it connects to this pyramid on Mars that has been locked, and the god Sutek, which is like uh the Egyptian god of of death essentially he's also seth and you know anyways so he's there so sutek isn't really and the egyptian gods aren't gods they're a race of um aliens sirens
1: they are these alien race that kind of came to earth they battled they um their pattern you know kind of created ancient egyptian civilization and then uh you know, they're, at the end of their war, they, they lock up Sutek in this uh, prison, essentially.
0: So then the rest of the episode gets to be um, Sutek trying to escape his prison, um, and he has these kind of minion guards that are like mummies but with big heads. I don't really know how to explain that. They're kind of <laughs> mummies with like, um, oh, what racist tracks?
1: Oh, uh, he's a Suntaran.
0: Santarin, thank you, God! I can't believe it. I forgot Suntaran. Yeah, Suntaran. you're
1: a bad fan,
0: bad fan. Bad fan, bad fan. Uh, but no, like they almost have like these Santarinish helmets. Um, anyway, so then you have, I I don't know, like exactly the story that you think you have from that point.
1: <laughs> right. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, thank you for for summarizing the episode. I, I think it's interesting how much of the episode is um. You know, the first two and a half parts, this is a four part story. The first two and a half parts are very much mummy movie as done by Doctor Who. Yes. Um, and I think that's the stuff that I, I find uh, less uh, interesting um, is the kind of. <laughs> and this is really funny for me because I watch these episodes and I kind of get. I'm like, okay, let's get to. Um, Cooler stuff, etc., etc. A bunch of mummies running around in the woods, and some old guy with a with a shotgun chasing them.
0: Okay, so yes, <laughs> wait, no. So this is part of what Daniel thinks is funny, but is like I am completely serious. So someday, um, in my life, I will become a legitimate Doctor Who scholar. Um, maybe if I ever take the time and write all the papers I want to write. But so I'm convinced. Um, but there is a specific character archetype in Doctor Who. And I, I moved to call that archetype the Sam Seely. Because if you remember back from uh what is it, Thunderballs Wonderballs <laughs> and the Dirty Box.
1: Thunderballs. 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 And, balls and the dirty old box.
0: And the dirty old box. Our dear <laughs> friend Sam Seely was a bumbling kind of um you know he he's just that additional character that you need to keep the story going, but God love him, he's just a dumb old country guy.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so we get another Sam Sealy character in this episode who's a little dopey. and
1: Who's and just, just an old guy wandering around the forest with a shotgun and shooting things. That's, yep, that's and, all he does.
0: And ends up discovering a giant invisible force field and is like, oh, damn. <laughs> um. So... I, I kind of like, you know, instead of saying pour one out for the homies, from now on I think I'm going to pour one out for the Sam Seelies out there. Right. So the, you know, so salute to all the Sam Seelies who who never quite made it out of the forest without um, getting messed up in alien business.
1: Nicely done. I, I, I like that idea. Um...
0: So that is a key part of this episode to me. Probably not to anyone else ever. Well,
1: what I lo- what I love is the degree to which, you know, I'm kinda like, Oh, now we're wandering around the forest and we got it. I'm kinda like I'm I'm drifting, I'm like I'm waiting for, you know, the cool like oh, Sutek's gonna show up and like there's this cool radio telescope thing happening and Shannon's a little like, Now I'm excited. <laughs> I wanna watch this guy wander in the forest for a while. <laughs> um, it's uh it's it's really um it's interesting that you gravitate to that so uh, completely. Um maybe it's your horror movie uh, kind of background. You you watch a little bit more horror movies than I. You
0: know, it movies. might be the horror movies. It might be just cuz I, I you know, one of my favorite parts of Doctor Who is when you have these whole little characters that exist in the in this universe and you hear a whole side of their story um even though they're not the main part of the story. And and there are other characters in this episode Similar to that, because we have our. Yeah, the
1: Scarman Brothers.
0: The Scarman Brothers, one of whom we see basically die early on because he is possessed by Zutek.
1: I think there should be a Doctor Who Almond Brothers cover band called the Scarman Brothers.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, uh, some filk people get on that, and yeah, yep. they get to be imperialist English types. That'd be perfect. Filk World, UOS one. So, so
1: one of them is a one of the Scarman brothers is a is the Egyptologist at the beginning, and the other is a uh, like a astronomer, I think they said he was, and he's like he builds the first crude radio telescope, and so there's there's. Um, I like the second one a lot more than the first one. I forget their names. It's Lawrence and Larry or something. I don't remember.
0: No, Lawrence is Larry. Anyways, Lawrence. Yeah. I don't remember either. Lawrence
1: and Marcus. Marcus is the bad guy. Okay.
0: Yeah, Marcus, I will say Marcus has some great uh possessed makeup where he has like magenta eyeshadow on. I'm totally down with it.
1: Kind of has this Vincent Price thing going on. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a very 70s kind of possession vampire makeup. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's pretty That's great. Nice. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot a lot of that is you get to learn about these brothers and their relationship and their kind of view on science at the time. and um, But it also has just fun time for Sarah, who gets to play with um, kind of the sexism mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. distrust where she, uh, the brother is asking her, Who is this man? Blah, 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 blah. He's like, that's impossible. And she says, oh... I guess it is, I'm sorry, or something I think, like that.
1: I think that'll be our quote at the end, so, you
0: know. Yeah, we'll have to find the exact quote. Um, but I, I, I love <clears throat> there are moments that Sarah could have, if she had said them genuinely, oh, oh, I don't know then, I'm sorry, like, I don't know how to explain this to you. It, it reads as a kind of dopey, dumb girl. But she is so friggin' sarcastic and just like, all right, you're not gonna listen to me, and that's that's why people love her. Is she breathed a new life into even the script that was given to her?
1: Right, I, I love this. Uh, I love this era, this kind of se- season thirteen of the show, where um, Liz Slayton and Tom Baker just are fucking around the entire episode, like they are. Um, completely in sync with each other. Uh, even more, you know. Um, Ian Martyr is gone. You know, Harry Sullivan is gone. So.
0: Yeah, fucking old <laughs> girl. <laughs>
1: um, so he's gone. So you don't have, you know. And these two just play off of each other so beautifully. I think that the uh,
0: the physical the ser- humor, the physical humor is. There's a moment where they jump out a window and are then walking around the outside of the house and. Tom Baker goes very suddenly from walking full height <coughs> to walking on his knees, so he's underneath the window line. And um, she doesn't see him at first, so she kind of turns around and does like a kind of goofy, like, whoops, I be- guess I better be crawling. And there's just a very physical sense of humor between them of where when he takes things too seriously, she's kind of just like... You know, goofing a little bit, and when she takes things too seriously, he's the one that maniacally sees the light side in it. So they're they balance each other really, really well.
1: But I'm a time lord, Shayna. I walk in eternity.
0: I'm a time lord.
1: <laughs> I, that's like that's like one of those lines that people just always uh, uh, quote from these two. I mean, it's just such a perfect relationship between these not only the the characters but just the actors you could just tell they were just like they really were getting along and everything you hear from them I'm in interviews over the last 30 years is they were just great
0: yeah th- this was the time period
1: yeah um uh moving on just slightly because i do i do want to get to a couple of things um uh, You mentioned, and this is, I'm going to ask you this question. Um, You mentioned that Sutek is uh, on Mars. Um, Yeah. He's imprisoned on Mars. You can read, I I listened to an episode of the TARDIS Tavern a few months ago, um, which is another Doctor Who podcast, which I like quite a bit. And um, they literally sat and argued, they talked about this episode, and they literally sat and argued for about 20 minutes about whether Sutek was imprisoned in Egypt or on Mars. And not only did they argue for 20 minutes, but in the next episode, they had a letter from someone who, um, established, anu- again, had an opinion on this matter, and, um, uh, <laughs> you can read it either way, honestly, I think that's, that's the long and the short of it is, that, like, you can, you can read it, either he's on, he's in Egypt and the beacon is on Mars, or he's imprisoned on Mars. Um, and I think the story works perfectly well either way. But I love that people... It is it is funny how people have very particular opinions about this. Everybody thinks they're right. See, I think Sutek is in Egypt. I think really? he's imprisoned in Egypt, yes. But oh the no, because I really Mars.
0: thought he was on Mars!
1: I literally went through this episode and was watching for details, specifically... To give me clues about whether I thought he was on Egypt or on Mars, and I didn't. I didn't tell you that just because I wanted to see what your because my immediate thought when I watched the episode the first time was he's on Mars. The episode is called "The Pyramids of Mars," so like clearly he's on Mars. But I think in the text of the show you can argue that he is actually in prison in Egypt. Um, so see, no, um, but
0: so okay. This is this is why I think he's on Mars, and then we can okay. move on. Sure, sure. Um. Because they have to open the doorway to get him. When? Um, at the end they have to bring him in. I guess that could be from Egypt. Right. Like so, I but, think that there's a but, there's like a time warp thing
1: or a space warp thing from England to Egypt.
0: Oh, uh, or yeah, no, you're right. Okay, never mind. I see. I see the point. And then at the end, he gets kind of stuck in the temporal liminal space in between. Right. And they just say, bye, Donkey Face.
1: Bye, Donkey Face. That's the title of this episode. Bye, Donkey Face.
0: Bye, Donkey Face. Peace out.
1: <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, what do you think of the ending? What do you think of the way that uh, the Doctor, like, um, gets rid of Sutek at the end? Because that's kind of confusing for people, too.
0: It, it felt... <laughs> How should I say this nicely? It felt a little bit like the people who had written this episode were like, man... I'm really happy with how everything has gone in this episode. I think things are pretty good. I have no clue how to fucking end it. So let's just, you know, just jigger the jigger and, oh, look, something happened. Right. Uh, It's actually a pretty
1: clever thing because, like, Sutek is in this, like, is is trapped in Egypt. So we're just going to assume he's in Egypt just for the sake of argument. On Mars, it doesn't really matter. He's trapped in this chair. He can't move. Mm Mm-hmm. They have uh, destroyed the beacon, but it takes like four minutes for the or two minutes or whatever for the signal to like, which is another reason why you have to think he's in Egypt because he was on Mars and it. But anyway, um, so they've destroyed the beacon, but then they find that we have two minutes, and he's like in the um, in this tunnel thing, like on his way to Earth essentially, or on mm-hmm. his way to England, and uh, given that two-minute time frame, we can. Um, essentially, the doctor elongates the, the, the uh, time tunnel to like a, basically an infinite length. He puts him in an infinite loop. And like so Sutek spends 10,000 years or something or 7,000 years they give it a number at the end, but he spends thousands of years just in this loop, which to me is a, a little I mean, you know sure, Sutek's a bad guy, but man, he <laughs> it's, uh, it seems like cruel and unusual punishment to me. To, uh, I don't know
0: yeah. I mean I think the big line we get from sue Tech is I want to kill everything your yes. your evil is my good um so I I kind of feel like you know if it's Sutek versus all living existence so I, I I'd, I'd, I'd kill the dude
1: sure <laughs> you know and I think but I do think that um you know it's uh it's interesting to think that the doctor like that's how the doctor solves it is just we're just going to make this time tunnel you know of some absurdly long length and therefore you'll just age to death on your way over here um uh and not really uh you know that's what the doctor tells us he does it's not really like justified in the text because you know sutik is just talking normally while this is going on but um Anyway, uh, just kind of a, a fun little moment there. I I like that ending. I actually kind of like. It. I think it's a little bit of a clever thing. To like like they think they've lost, and then he wins just based on this like crazy um, thing that happens. That he just happens to be able to do because um, he's a time lord, I guess.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, there there's always something fun about the uh, and this and the Doctor can solve it because he's the Doctor moments.
1: Right um i would like to say this this episode is credited to Stephen harris um steven harris is a pseudonym of lewis uh, greifer whom i don't know um i don't know if he's written anything else for Doctor Who or whatever um and uh, robert holmes
0: <laughs> robert holmes
1: yeah so uh yeah um the tardis wiki says Stephen harris was a pseudonym employed by robert holmes when he rewrote the script lewis greifer script for the Doctor Who story Primants of Mars*, is the original was considered unworkable, so essentially, this guy wrote a really terrible <laughs> episode, and then um, Robert Holmes just rewrote it. Oh. says uh, it was written by Robert Holmes. Almost nothing of the original story was left. That's uh, pretty hilarious. So essentially, this is a Robert Holmes story. Okay. Um, That's funny. Yeah. So anyway, I just I thought that was uh, that was kind of a clever little uh, thing to talk about. Um. Uh, you have any th- more thoughts about Pyramids of Mars before I kind of uh, start to wrap this up here?
0: Not really. I mean, I think I, I can see why it's a classic because it has a lot of those classic story points that we look for in this era of, of the kind of humor and the kind of back and forth between Sarah and the Doctor. But yeah, the, the story itself is, is fun, but not, not truly special. That doesn't move me in the way others have.
1: Sure. Uh, you know, and that's kind of how I feel. I think there's a lot of running around in the first couple of uh, episodes here. And then once it kind of, once you get Sutek involved, I think it gets really, really good. And I think yeah. Sutek is an amazing um, foil for the Doctor, an amazing villain for the Doctor to have to fight. Just because, you know, whenever you put the Doctor against some somebody who is... Much, much more powerful than he is, because the doctor is very powerful. He has a lot of abilities and techniques and things that he can do. Okay. And whenever you put him against somebody who is just who sees the doctor as someone who is um, a, a weakling and a plaything by his standards or their standards, I, I I like that. I like the the doctor kind of combating. Um, sort of uh, invincible beings. I think that's that's a, a good use of, of Doctor Who's story
0: time. You know? Yeah, and I and I do think that once you get to the point where it's a battle of good and evil, and the Doctor is is rising to this challenge, and you get the feeling that he was acting like a little bit of an old grumpy man at the beginning, but for a reason because he understood the gravity before everyone else. Right. Um, so there. I think even though the plot isn't great, the character moments in this episode um, are very good.
1: <laughs> yes. No, I, and I think that really that's what it is. I think that Tech as a character is great. I think that Tom Baker and Liz Slayton and uh, the guy who plays uh, Lawrence Scarman, I, I don't know the actor's name, but um, I really liked that character. Yeah. Um, built the radio telescope thing and he kind of, you know, he gets some nice moments where he's, I can't kill my brother, and, and that sort of thing. I, I really like that dynamic. Um, yeah, uh, great little sub storyline there. Yeah. Um, when, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a little question. I want you to think on it while we finish the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actor who voiced Sutek mm-hmm. um, came back in one episode of the new series, uh, technically two episodes, it's a two parter, and voiced another character. And uh, I want you to start thinking about oh, who you think he came back and voiced.
0: Can you at uh, least tell me which doctor it was?
1: It's the 10th Doctor story. Oh, which one? It's the 10th Doctor story. All right, so think about that for a minute. Um, uh, another thing, uh, Sarah Jane gets to shoot a rifle. Yeah. Um, I remember I saw that the first time, and I'm like, holy fucking balls. T- Sarah Jane can shoot a rifle? Like, um, And not just lists...
0: anything. She's like a friggin' sharpshooter or something.
1: And she plays it so well. And my understanding of how that moment even happened was they were originally going to have like another secondary character, like like some dude who was just kind of wandering around. And then um, for whatever reason, like the extra just wasn't around that day or something. And so they you know, like the writers or the, the the production team was just like, well, well, just have Sarah do it. You know, like why can't? And which is a perfectly reasonable thing. But they apparently had this whole other character they were going to have in there. Literally just to shoot the rifle at this moment, and then they just went, "Well, screw it, just have Sarah I bet do that it.
0: was one of Sam Seely's lines, and they cut it. <laughs> yeah, pointless.
1: I bet Sam Seely, uh, the Sam Seely dude, um, was supposed to be the one shooting the the uh, the rifle there. But I love the way she plays it because you you've never had any indication that she was able to like fire a gun at any point in the past. But you know. She really sells it, and I kind of get the feeling like her dad took her hunting when she was a kid, and she wasn't super familiar with it. It was, but like she could totally, she just knew how to shoot a rifle because she just done it a bunch as a kid. I kind of, I, I love the way she plays it. Well,
0: and I think um, what we say about Elizabeth Slayton again and again and again <clears throat> is that character has nothing to do with the dialogue. Um, it's all about her delivery and how lived in that character is. Like right. I believe that that character existed. you know, I'm not you know what I mean. Sarah right. Jane feels like a complete and real human being to me.
1: She feels like she doesn't that character doesn't end when the camera stop rolling exactly like she's, she's still there is a world around theres a world around Sarah Jane and a world around mm-hmm. um, the fourth doctor as well mm-hmm. there. And that's one reason they play so well together is that they're both kind of, they're 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 actually inhabiting characters where you know you really for the companions, um you, they, that really could just be a walk on role that could just be a oh and then you say three lines and it's over you know but I think the writing supports it, but I really think that the the performances really is what um, sells the the Sarah Jane Fourth Doctor dynamic.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, another thing I'm going to uh, mention is uh. Pyramids of Mars is interesting just because it's uh, it's drawing so much. It, like it's a very this story came out in 1975, and it's a very 1975y kind of story. Um, because it's uh, all about Mars, and the Viking probe was on its way to Mars. The, uh, it landed in 76, so we were. it was before we got our first really clear images of the surface of Mars. Um, mm. The whole, like, uh, Egyptian civilization was built by aliens. Idea was kind of a new thing at the time, or at least it was kind of gaining... It was in the popular consciousness, I mean, which is total bullshit. I mean, I'm not going to... But, like, it's a... Uh, you know, like, it's completely... I mean, it's completely nonsensical, and it's such a, like... White guys, um, stoners in dorm rooms, talking about like uh, how, of course, the pyramids couldn't have been constructed by the old primitives and that sort of thing. So um, there's such a like imperialist logic to why people believed that, or and still continue to believe it. You know, um, and, and vaguely racist as well. But um, without <laughs> getting so into not so vague, not so vaguely racist. I was trying to be nice, but well, um, actually, can we was... take
0: a second and talk about? The, the kind of weird issue of race in this episode.
1: Sure, um, just let me. There was a book called Chariots of the Gods, okay. which was like seriously, like it was a bestseller. People took it seriously, and it was all about like basically anything cool built by an ancient group of brown people was really built by space aliens. That's essentially what the whole book was about. That's awesome. Um, I own a copy, believe it or not, um, and I've read it cover to cover once. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah, let's, uh, let's please talk about that. I, I'm sorry. I was kind of, um, you know, we can talk as long as you want. So yeah, uh, talk about, talk about some of the racial issues in, in, uh, Pyramids of Mars. I think that'd be fascinating.
0: <laughs> well, for me, I, 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 just... I mean
1: that legitimately, I'm, I'm not making fun. I mean that really, no, I want to, I want to talk about it.
0: We don't, um, mm, let's put this simply. There are not a lot of, of brown people in, in Classic Who, um, sometimes they show up and in some really interesting ways. And we've talked about that, but we get the, the long persisting and obnoxious stereotype of the savages who helped the, um, civilized Englishmen unearth the pyramids at the beginning. Sure. Um, which whatever that it's awful. Um, but at least it's like, okay, that, that is, you're just relying on that gag there okay um,
1: well i mean that is like the these these white explorers would go and just essentially employ what is effectively slave labor to like dig up their their stuff i mean yes, but that the was representation very real. <laughs> of
0: the slaves is always like i'm i'm wearing a sackcloth and i right. i i run away when i see things because i am scared and he will call me a savage and right. you know um but really, I think more interestingly, uh, one of Sutek's other henchmen is this. I-, I don't know what we're supposed to think he is, really.
1: <laughs> vaguely ethnic.
0: He's vaguely <laughs> ethnic. He wears um a a red hat. That he went, wears a fez,
1: I think. Yeah, He's like a fez? large
0: fez. Um, and an oriental collar. Uh, and. He, One of the first times you see him, he's sitting and maniacally playing at an organ, and (laughs) there was this, I think he has, like, a little goatee, there are just so many things about him that is like, I am almost a cartoonishly evil villain. Yes. Um, Because he is possessed (laughs) by Sutek, but...
1: You haven't seen the 70s master yet. You just
0: wait. Like after you've seen
1: that nothing feels like a cartoonishly evil villain ever again.
0: I know. You know? <laughs> but, you know, it it it's it's fair to say like this is one of those examples. I almost thought of him as like a a, a GI Joe villain. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Like clearly but this is pre-GI Joe, but um this really weird quote unquote Orientalism where he, like, you don't even know what, what part is he Middle Eastern? Is he Asian? Is he, like what's going on? But he, he therefore gets to be mysterious and evil. He, he's swarthy, swarthy.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a race in Dr. Who, I think, you know, and classic who he's just vaguely swarthy.
0: Yeah. So th- that was interesting. I don't really know if I have anything to say about that. I haven't thought about it much more than that. Yeah. Um, Yet, yeah, but
1: I forgot all about that character because he he kind of dies at the beginning. I think it's the beginning of episode three. He yeah, yeah, you know, he gets killed. It's either two or three. Um, so he he dies pretty early on, and then he, he, he Jonah, that's you know. who
0: he is. I I remember now. He is part of the race that has uh <laughs> protected Sutek and tried to bring him back for like millennia, and Sutek can he um Sutek's first henchman comes out and. The guy's like, I worship you, Sutek. I come from this long society, yo, Sutek. And then Sutek's guard is like, dude, you don't serve Sutek. I serve Sutek. And he kills him. Which, honestly, that that is a badass moment.
1: It is a, a pretty... I mean, you gotta... I have to give that credit. That is a really, really good cliffhanger, I think. Um, lots of good cliffhangers in this one. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like... Um, you know, I, I this story is quite good. I just, for me, it's just like the the whole like mummy movie stuff at the beginning. Just kind of like I'm I'm kind of don't care. But um, there's a lot of really cool, really cool shit in this. So
0: yeah, um, like, I feel have like you figured out who that of actor is yet? An Indiana Jones meets um, Doctor Who.
1: I'm glad you mentioned Indiana Jones. You know, this episode aired three years before Raiders of the Lost Ark.
0: I'm just saying, I think it's a similar feel, so... Oh, no,
1: no, no, I agree. I mean, they're both drawing from the same literature, ultimately. They're both drawing from the same sources.
0: And pop culture, um, like, this, you know, this right. is just what
1: was going on. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Um, one more thing, and then I'm going to ask you if you figured out who that actor is yet. Um, I
0: have a guess.
1: Yeah, would you like to give me your guess?
0: Is it... The voice of the Satan in yes, it is. I knew it.
1: <laughs> Great job! Did you look it up or did you just? No, it I out? was
0: just like, who else could he play? I bet he plays another Satan. I don't Does. know. I just guessed.
1: No, that's that's amazing. I should get um, a prize.
0: Somebody give me a should, prize.
1: You, you should get a prize. I agree. Somebody send Shana a prize.
0: All um, the things.
1: All the things. Your prizes you get to go through uh, Series 7 with me over the course of the next few weeks. Ooh! Yay! All right, one more thing, and then we're going to finish off with a quote, um, because the quote mentions this, and uh, it's going to be really fun to to not have this conversation. Um, Sarah Jane mentioned she's from the year 1980. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) And um, she says it, and then you kind of poked me. And you were uh, what you said something like oh Sarah Jane's from nineteen eighty or something like that. Um, and you asked a question. Do you remember what it was?
0: Well, I what I said was um, okay. So I might not entirely remember what I said even. Um, but what I was trying to figure out as I was trying to remember when the episode aired. Mm-hmm. So if Sarah Jane said. I'm from the 80s, would she be from the future or the past of when the episode aired? Right. So that's what I was trying to figure out. And then I stumbled on apparently this huge dramatic Doctor Who thing.
1: <laughs> the unit dating controversy. Yeah. Um, you Yeah, I... I thought it was really funny that literally you're like, so what? What year? What year is Sarah from? And I went, I don't. We're not even going to talk about that. That's a uh, yeah, the the unit dating controversy for the like two people who may not know. Um, Sarah Jane comes in at the end of uh, John Pertwee's last year. She comes in during John Pertwee's last year, essentially. Um, and so and she works when he's working for UNIT, which means all the UNIT stories except for that year happened before that. Some of them are set. Um, they have, like, little, like, uh, calendars and stuff that are, like, contemporary for 1973 or whatever, and, uh, yet Sarah Janus from 1980, therefore the unit stories have to happen later. And essentially, um, you run into this, um, the, the, whether the unit stories happen in the 70s or 80s is the, uh, uh giant debate that people get into among classic who, uh, fandom. And it's, uh kind of uh if if you like having that conversation more power to you um we are not going to really give it any more time than we were already given it um because ultimately if the stories are good I don't really care. That's <laughs> but, you know uh,
0: that's that's just that's precious. You you do that. Yeah, you go so, Glen Coco. Uh, <laughs> uh
1: but yeah, no um they even uh, uh, lampshade that in the uh Centauran stratagem uh Poison Sky. When uh, the doctor says, "Oh, I worked for UNIT a uh, while in the '70s, or was it the '80s?" Um, they 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 make a joke out of it in the new series, which I thought was That's a, a awesome. funny little nod. Um, one day we're gonna talk. I'm gonna show you some UNIT stories, and then we're gonna watch that one again um, because I love how that particular two-parter just like borrows everything from the UNIT stories, and um, people don't talk about that enough when they talk about that uh, episode. Um, anyway, we're not talking about that episode today. Um, we're actually gonna wrap okay. up here. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to say? Um yep. before we kinda end up with a quote? Yep. Nope. All done.
0: All done.
1: Okay, cool. Uh well, uh why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet?
0: All right. I um am not as active as I have been again, grad school, what what. Um, but I am Inkyosa on Twitter and Tumblr. And you should be able to find links to my other Tumblr that I mentioned earlier. Thirty days of turning thirty um, on my Inkyosa Tumblr. Tumblr. Yeah, that's a Tumblr. So Yes, yeah, so it's a dot Tumblr. Thank you.
1: Cool. Um, and uh, Inkyosa is I N K Y O S A. Um, I am just I go by my name because I'm boring. I'm Daniel Lee Harper on both Twitter and Tumblr, and that's probably the best way to find me if you want to um, contact me. Um, you can also uh, email uh, Oyspacemanpodcast at gmail.com dot com if you want to uh, email us stuff about what we've said today, um, angry letters or happy letters or whatever you want to do. Uh, we'd love to get some more emails, and uh, if we um, once we get back into it, hopefully we'll uh, start like, reading some emails as we actually start mm-hmm. to get some. So. And
0: we're also on Facebook.
1: We are on Facebook, Spaceman Podcast. I think I believe um, so. we'll we'll try to include a link to that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, if you just look for Oy Spaceman on Facebook, you should be able to find us pretty easily. And we are going to try to post more stuff to that as well. Um, get back into our online um, social media game um, really leading up to the new series. Yeah. So we'll do what we can. Uh, all right. You ready, for, you ready to read the quote?
0: I am ready. Do it. So this is, again, Lawrence Scarman. Um, he asked Sarah Jane, who are you? Well, I'm Sarah Jane Smith. I'm a journalist. Journalist? Who is your companion? My companion? Oh, that's just the doctor. We travel in time, Mr. Scarman. I'm really from 1980. That is utterly preposterous, Miss Smith. Yes, sorry.
1: Such a great line. <laughs> and perfectly uh, done by, by Liz Slade. Yeah,
0: I really I I want to answer most things that way from here on out. Just yes, sorry.
1: Yes, that's utterly preposterous, Shada. Yes, I know. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> All right, great. Thanks for everybody to listen to this episode. Uh, thanks for everybody to listen to this episode. I sound like an idiot. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Old Space Man Podcast. We will be back next week. We're going to be talking about probably the first three episodes or so of the of Series 7. Um, and I don't have the titles in front of me right this second, but we'll start with Asylum of the Daleks. Ooh, um... I have lots to say about Asano of the Daleks, so um, hopefully we'll keep those uh, short. But uh, thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. And until then, keep listening.